Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. This new series that uh, we're going to be starting today is called Together, and I really like that graphic. I didn't say anything in the 830 service, but isn't that a, a nice graphic? And uh, salt and pepper. There used to be a day that my hair was salt and pepper. Now it's more salty. <laughs> but this series, um, there, if there, there's a, a, the blurb for this series is uh, really simple. It's together is a place where there is grace, strength, fruitfulness, and victory. So, uh, you know, when people come together, they're better, stronger, everything. There's more grace together. There's more strength together. There's more fruitfulness together. And there's more victory together. So we thank God for individual individuality. We thank God that he loves us individually, but then there is even a better thing when it's corporate and we're together. So we're going to look into that. Uh, the next four weeks will look like this, so we're going to talk about together with God today. Uh, the next Sunday, Patsy will minister next week together in church, uh, then the next week together with family, and then the last week will be together while serving. And each one of those places uh, that we're talking about, when you're together with God, you know, our connection with God brings grace, strength, fruitfulness, and victory. But then in church, as we work together in teams and together, there's grace, strength, and it goes with your family at home. And while we're serving, all, all of the things that we're talking about together, there's an increase of grace, strength, fruitfulness, and victory. Uh, when I think about this kind of thing, uh, I was thinking it came to my attention even this morning that my brother Mike, my brother Mike, is six years younger than myself and when we were growing up you know back and and i know some cultures still actually they visit each other and spend families families spend time with each other it's like i, I don't know our culture it, it, you know was like that italians we we spent a lot of time uh, growing up with our family they would come over the house quite often and like all all sunday afternoon you spend time with your family and uh and we had friends Today, it doesn't seem, it seems like a different time where there's not as much visiting going on. But every time that we had company, my brother Mike would disappear, and, and we, we didn't know where he was, and then we finally realized that every time we had company, he would go down to the basement. I grew up in Ohio, and, you know, they put basements in homes in Ohio, so they dig underground. There's usually no windows, and it's a basement. You can use it for various things. So my brother would go down to the basement, and he would basically sit in the dark by himself. He was like a recluse, and he was a loner. And uh, so we, we start calling him the loner, you know. And, uh, and he just didn't want to be around people. But then something happened that my brother Joe and myself, we found Jesus, and God got in our lives, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit came in us, and we changed, but my brother Mike, he ended up following along, and he accepted Jesus as his Lord, and he had a radical change. Today, he's a pastor, and not only is he a pastor, he actually likes people, and, uh, <laughs> and he spends time around people, so he's totally different, uh, and, uh, and he's a lot better together. Uh, he's so much better than he was because of Jesus. 
Um, so before we get into this today, I just thought we'd lay a little bit of a foundation because uh, sometimes there's questions when we talk about together with God, which we are, maybe sometimes people think, well, well, you know, how many gods are there? You know, and sometimes people have that question. And it's been said that there's many gods and there's many ways to them. So I thought the first thing we would do is lay a foundation. If we're talking about God, let's say a few things about God and who he is. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5, notice that scripture. It says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then verse 6, it says, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So from that scripture, we see uh, that according to the Bible, there is one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, and there's one God and Father of all. Now, if we just looked at that scripture, we could say, okay, I'll take your word, I'll take the Bible's word for it. But then let's look at another scripture and tie these two scriptures together. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20, this scripture says something that's, uh, it caught my attention for the first time. I've never noticed this before. But it says, God's eternal power and character cannot be seen. So just making a comment about that, uh, God's eternal power, it's really hard to see power. He's, God is a spirit, and he's very powerful, and it's, but it's hard to see that. The only time you can see it is by what he would do, okay? And then his character, it's really hard to see character, so you can't see those things. And then notice it says eternal. Eternal means forever. It always was, it always will be. God is eternal. He always was, and he always will be. So then with that in mind, it says, but from the beginning of creation, God has shown what these are like by all he has made. That's why those people don't have any excuse. So what people are, the people that is talking about is people that say there isn't a God. And so people that say there isn't a God, what this says is God's eternal power and character can be seen through creation. In other words, when we walk outside and we see how beautiful the sky is, the blue sky. And I tell you, Australia has a beautiful blue sky. I've lived in other countries where it's hard to see the sky because of pollution. And, and when, the first thing we noticed when we came to this country, how blue it is. Beautiful. And, uh, and, and the trees and the hills and the mountains and, and the high mountains with snow on and the beautiful animals, all the stuff that God created. It says... So from the beginning of creation, everything God created, we can say that there's a God based on creation. So the beauty and wonders of creation, they prove there is an eternal, powerful God. So it wasn't like a team of gods that created. It was one God that created. Okay? So look at then, if you jump down to verse 23, it says, they don't worship. That's the people that say there isn't a God. They don't worship the glorious and eternal God. So not only is he eternal, he's been around forever, not only is he powerful, he's glorious. Instead, they worship idols that are made to look like humans who cannot live forever and like birds, animals, and reptiles. So, you know, the birds, animals, reptiles, and people, they die, they don't live forever, but there's one that's been around from the beginning. He always was and he always will be, and that's God. And think about it, there, there's only been one creation. Think about if there's a bunch of gods and they were all were creating, what kind of chaotic place would it be? It'd be chaos. So I know they make movies and they show all the different gods in those, some of those, uh, what do they call those movies? Um, you know, of course, they're fiction, but, you know, Zeus and 
and, you know, Thor, and uh, what do they call those kind of? Mythology and all. all. Whatever that is, I couldn't hear you, Dave. But anyway, you know, that they, they imply that there's all these gods and they all got all this power and everything. I tell you, there's one God, there's only been one creation, there's not a bunch of creations, and, and so he is the one and only eternal powerful God. Okay, so we can say in conclusion, there's one God and Father, he is the creator, his creation speaks loudly that he's glorious and eternal, and every statue or idol, they're not glorious and eternal, and you can just throw them down and break them. Just pick it up and break it, you know. Uh, and, and that's... You know, I think about, you know, the, the last Thor movie. Did, did, any, did anybody like Thor and all those guys? The, the Avenger guys, you know. But the Hulk, you know, the Hulk was going to fight Thor's brother. Did anybody see that? <clears throat> so the Hulk, he, he, Thor's brother told him he was a god. And so the Hulk threw him around and kind of wiped up the floor and threw him down. And he says, puny god. He called him a puny god. Anybody remember that scene? <laughs> but it's kind of like, who else could create the universe? You know, there's only one God that had the power to create the universe. He's all-powerful. So when we think, we think about that, that, that's the God we're talking about, all-powerful. So this week, we want to talk about us being together with God. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 5, it says, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace are you saved. So notice there it talks about being made alive and together. So we're alive and we're together with Christ and we're with God. So the first thing we want to do today is talk about the opposite. Together, okay, what's the opposite of together? The opposite of together is apart or separated. So before we look at together, let's look at apart and separated, okay? And so here, here is, um, here's the first thing we want to look at. Uh, um, here's a question, and here's how we'll look at it. Uh, you know, I just, I just a, a telephone call was coming in on my, my, my iPhone there. I, just, I didn't realize that was going to happen. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm looking, and all of a sudden a telephone call comes up in my and uh, it's Liliana, by the way. And so, <laughs> it's my daughter. <laughs> she got mixed up about what I was doing right now. <laughs> um, so, that can, that can be distracting. All right, so let's, let's, let's answer this question. Are there people that could be apart from God right now? Because the opposite of together is apart. So, in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 and verse 5, here's what it says. It says, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So notice there that Gentile, that means it's a, it's a person who is not Jewish. So they're like, when this was written, it was like there's the Jews and then there's everyone else, okay? So if you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. So here's what it says about whoever wasn't Jewish. It says that they don't know God, okay? So I was in that category. I was, I don't, I'm not Jewish. So before I knew Jesus, I didn't know God. That's me, okay? And I'm sure a lot of you were in the same category. And then another scripture in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, this includes you who were once far away from God. Colossia, Colossae is another place uh, like Thessalonica where they were not 
part of Israel. So they're telling, again, this group of people that you were once far away from God. Notice it's once because they, they got Jesus, and they're, they're no longer far from God, but they were apart or separated from God. Then in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. So Ephesus, it's another city, not part of Israel. They were also not Jewish or from Israel. So he's telling them, you were at the time. In other words, you're no longer there, but at the time you were separated from Christ. Then you were not only separated from him, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So the commonwealth of Israel, uh, so anybody that was Jew in the commonwealth of Israel, they had uh, covenant promises. So it's, it tells them you were not a part of Israel and you did not have covenant promises, okay? So having no hope and without God. So you see, there is together with God, but then there can be a place where you're not together and you're separated. Now you might have the question after reading that, does that mean that the Jews have God without Jesus. You might wonder that. Do they have God without Jesus? And here's the answer. I'm glad you asked the question. So in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. And so if you take time to think about that, if there's one God and one Lord, that same God that was the God for Israel, he's telling them now, you used to have covenant promises and you had a covenant with me and I was your God with that covenant, but now I sent my son Jesus and you're going to have to humble yourself and receive my son if you want me. Okay? Even more proof that it's one God's. So Israel, God was Israel's God, but then he was going to become the, the world's God. So Israel now had to make an adjustment, and they had to say, I want Jesus. And so Paul's like praying, I, my heart and prayer is that the, the people of Israel would be saved. All right, so, the, so here's one last question, and then we'll move on. Have you ever had anyone say, isn't everybody on the earth a child of God? Did it, I've had that happen before. You go out and you want to share uh, Jesus with somebody and you talk to them and they go and they say they say but every, everyone Everyone on the earth is a child of God. We're all children of God. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Well, it, well, what's what's the uh, what's the answer to that? All right So here's what we first of all want to see in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 It says for by him all things were created so we'll just stop there. Well, I'll read the whole thing. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay? So here's the first thing that we can say, that everybody that's walking on the earth was created by God. We were all created by God. And then look at John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what we see is God loves, he created everyone, and he loves everyone, okay? But then what we have to do to answer our question is go to John 1 and verse number 12, and this answers that question. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the answer to the question we just asked isn't everyone 
on the earth, children of God? The answer is only those who accept Jesus Christ can become a child of God. All right, so, so it's kind of tough to swallow that when I, I grew up and I didn't know the Lord Jesus. And when I first heard these scriptures, they kind of like hit me pretty hard. Uh, but then I just thought, well, if that is the way to get to God, then I need to accept Jesus as my Lord. And, and I eventually did that. It only took me about three weeks to make the decision, okay? So, um, so that's just a few, that's some foundational things we wanted to lay down. Let's get into what we want to get into today, and that's together with God. Let's talk about that. So talking about this whole thing about getting joined up with the creator of the universe, getting joined up with uh, God who's all-knowing and all-powerful. This is what we're, we're talking about, getting together with that. It, it's, it's just not like a theory. It is the creator, all-powerful. So we're, we're talking about together with that. God, creator. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4, here's the first thing we see about it. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So the first thing we see about the creator of the universe, because he created everything, he loves us and he's rich in mercy. And because of that, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses or sins, he made us alive together with Christ by grace have you been saved. So th that's the text scripture that we want to talk about. So there's four things we want to say today. There's four distinctive traits that we want to talk about because we're together with him. So here's the first one. The first distinctive trait is this, that we're called saints. All right? Now, I'll, re I'll read the scripture, then we'll, we'll say some things. But that scripture says to the assembly of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints. Now, there is a reason I use the Young's. If you, if you really are a, into the Bible and a scholar, notice that I use the Young translation there. The reason that I use that translation is because some of the other ones says called to be saints, and it has the impression that it's going to happen in the future. Like somewhere in the future, we're going to be a saint. Okay, but... That's really not a good, accurate translation. This one says that we're called saints. In other words, if you accept Jesus as your Lord, as soon as you accept Jesus as Lord, you're called the saint. Now, the church that I grew up in, this, this was hard to get my head around because the church that I grew up in, I grew up in church and I still did not know God and I didn't know Jesus, okay? And I don't know if anyone else has that same testimony, but I was in church every Sunday, and I didn't know God, and I didn't know Jesus. I heard about God, and I heard about Jesus, but I didn't know him, okay? And, and so uh, this, this, but to become a saint in the church that I grew up in, it was according, it was as if you did something significant and big, and the church noticed it, and you met all the qualifications, you could become a saint. It was up to them, okay? And so it was really out of your hands. And so you could become a saint on the earth, and then also the belief is when we get up to heaven, we'll be a saint up there, but very few people on the earth could be a saint. That's how I grew up. Did anyone else grow up that way? No one else? Okay, all right, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you're breathing out there. 
And so then I accept Jesus as Lord, and then I read a scripture, and you think, wait a minute. This is saying, like, I'm, I'm a saint? See, one of the, the, a, a distinctive thing about being together with God, one of, the, one of the first things that happen as soon as we get joined with God is he said we're saints. Now, why is that so significant? Well, the Greek word, you know where it says saint up there, the, the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. In the Greek, the word saint means holy or sacred. So when God says, I'm calling you saints, he's saying, I'm calling you holy, I'm calling you sacred. Everyone that's a Christian. And that word in the New Testament, 61 times it's, tra- it's used, translated as holy with a small h, and then 92 times it's translated as holy with a capital H. And why is that big? Well, the 92 times it has a capital H, you know where it's used? When it says Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. So you, you understand that God put himself in us. When, it's, when we talk about together with God, we're saying that God, by his Spirit, got in us, and he's saying now you are a saint. In other words, you are holy. You have holiness on the inside of you. That's big. So, you know, uh, when, when it talks about being baptized in the Holy Ghost, that one scripture, well, the word holy there, that's that same Greek word. So he says, I'm calling you a saint. I'm calling you holy. So here's the practical application that we want to uh, say about that today. What do we call ourselves? If God, see, we're talking about together with him. So if we're with him and we're together with him, and there's these distinctive things that God says, I'm calling you holy. So then the question is for us to apply this in everyday life, what do we call ourselves? What do we call ourselves? So here's the question. Like, do you say things like this? I'm a bad person. Do you say like I'm no good? Do you say I'm, I'm dirty, I'm filthy? Do you say like I'm worthless? Things like that. Because if you are a Christian, And if you say that about yourself, you are talking contrary to what God says you are. All right, so so sometimes people, they say, they act a certain way, and then they say who they are by what they, how their actions are. So you have a Christian, and they're not behaving properly, so they'll say, I'm a bad person, I'm no good. I'm a sinner, I'm dirty. And they say that. Well, that's how you acted. But see, it's very important to know the distinctive here is what does God say and what does God call you? God says you're holy. So if you acted contrary to who you are, you continue to say who you are. So even when you act wrong, you say, I acted wrong and I thank you, Lord, your blood cleanses me, that was wrong, but I am holy. I'm holy. Okay. Now, why is that important? Because whatever you believe about yourself and say about yourself, that's what you will continue. That's who you think you are, and that's what you'll continue to act like. So even when you mess up by, by continually saying, I'm holy, you will, it'll cause you to come out of the place that you don't want to be in. You don't want to be in that place. And so you want to say what God says about you, that is the way out of that place, okay? 
Paul, the Corinthian church, this is written to the Corinthians where he says, called saints, you know, they were carnal. The Bible says about them that you are carnal because there's envy and there's strife and there's jealousy and bitterness and all these things about you, and it says you're carnal. It even said they were carnal because they followed your carnal because one of you say you're of, of Paulos, one of you say you're of Paul, and they were even they were told they were carnal because they put people, one person above another person, and they were getting into different camps, and it says that's wrong too. You know, so even that. But here, here's the thing. God told them they were holy. Paul had to correct them for their behavior, but that did not make them unholy. They were just acting fleshly. In other words, carnal means flesh, and so your flesh wants to act a certain way, but, it, but when you talk about your spirit, you're holy. Does that make sense? So it's really important to know that even if something wrong comes out of your mouth and you criticize somebody, it's, it's, not, it's not the right... God doesn't want us to be critics and be critical, but if anything comes out of your mouth, instead of saying, ah, I give up on myself, I just can't, I'm just not good enough, instead of doing that, immediately say, I thank you, Father, your blood cleanses me, and I'm holy. Okay. Here's another distinctive trait. Uh, we're looking at just four of them today. So the next one is this, like, personal promises. So once you get, we get joined together with God, we also get a set of promises. So, uh, obviously, there's no way to go over every promise, but this is just a, an example of a promise. So, here it says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a distinctive trait for those that are with God and together and join with God. So, um, with, with this in mind, uh, here's a practical application. Like, what do you say about yourself along these lines? Do you say things like, well, I'm stupid, I'm slow, I can't do anything, it's too hard for me, everyone else is smarter than me? I mean, do you, do you say those things about yourself? Because what, what, what God is saying about you, he's saying that, he, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it doesn't matter what family you were born into, it doesn't matter how successful your mother and father were, it doesn't matter how educated they were. If you're in Christ, you, you have a new path. You, have, you can pioneer something new. So the past is past, and here you are now on a new course. So it doesn't matter about your family, where you came from. You are in Christ now, and whatever you believe and say about yourself, you can do. And so if you're in college right now, if you're in... Uh, any kind of schooling right now, what do you say about yourself, like young ones? Because if you say things like, well, I'm stupid and everyone else is smarter than me, and you know, I, I can do that really good because I was that guy. I was the guy that said I'm stupid. Everyone else is smarter than me. And so I can relate to it, but I wasn't a Christian when I was in school. You that are here today that are young and you're Christians, you can have a lot more than I had because I had no revelation of God or anything. So when I was in school, I always said I was stupid. And my father made sure that he, he was the first one maybe that told me I was stupid. And I guess I bought into it. But he didn't know any better. And so I always said I'm stupid. I can't do this. I can't do that. Everyone's smarter than me. But once I became a Christian and once I got into the Bible, then I realized that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And so even if you're taking exams in university, college, you know, school, you know, the first thing you want to say is that, uh, well, here, here's a, let me see, here's a scripture uh, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 30, and it, it says this, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Okay, so let, we won't read the whole thing, but notice there that as soon as you get saved and born again, that Jesus becomes your wisdom. So you have wisdom from God because of being in Christ. Now, there's people in the world that don't have God, and they are very educated, and they apply themselves. And there's no denying. There's many people out there that have gotten really far without God, and there's no denying that. There's other people, you know, without God, they're a mess. <laughs> I was probably one of the people that I really needed God. It wasn't until I got God that things started to turn around in my life. But that doesn't mean if you've gotten somewhere without God that you don't need him. You're just able to discipline yourself, and that's good. Okay? So, um, it, it, so if you say what you do, if you say what you feel, if you say what is untrue, you will eventually be that. But if you say what God says about you, that I can do all things through Christ, and you continue to say that, even after a failure, you'll eventually begin doing all things through Christ. So that's another distinctive trait. Here's another trait. These, these are some, in a sense, they relate. Uh, another distinctive trait is supernatural impartations. So when somebody makes Jesus their Lord, and they're together with him, of course, the, the first two things that we talked about are true, but this is true too. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6, it says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. All right, so um, notice that scripture there, that when you get saved, the creator of the universe, almighty God, all-knowing God, his spirit gets sent into our hearts. So do you know who's in you? Okay. The creator's in you by his spirit. The all-powerful one's in you. Now, I, I know that uh, when I first got saved and you, you tell your family things, and so I, I would tell my family, hey, you know, they said this at church and they would say, Who's brainwashing you? Your, 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 church, your church is brainwashing you. Did anyone ever have that happen where you, you, you're said, your church is brain, I, you go home and you're really happy and you say, you know, Jesus is the healer and I can do all things through Christ. Who's brain, your church is brainwashing you. That's what sometimes friends and family say. But you know, this scripture that we just read where it says that, you know, the spirit of God comes in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And in another translation, look at how it reads it's the contemporary English version, and it says, now that we are his children, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts, and look at this, and his spirit tells us that God is our father. So when you get God and he gets in you, he's the one that tells you he's your father. And it's kind of like when I worked uh, as a machinist, and I worked midnight turn for a while, which is a tough turn. You go in at 11 o'clock at night and come out at 7 in the morning. But I came back. I, I was made redundant. I got saved and filled with the Spirit. 
and then they brought me back, and I come back as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. And the first thing is I went up to the guy that preached the gospel to me all the time, all excited, saying, hey, guess what? I'm a Christian, and not only that, I'm born again, and I'm filled with the Spirit. And, and he says, speaking in tongues is of the devil. You know, and, and it's like, you know, I thought, you know, I know what I have is of God, and you can't tell me what I have is of the devil because you don't have it and you don't know, but I know because I have it, and I have, it's God. And it's kind of like this, that God gets on the inside of you, and it says that his spirit tells us that he's our father. So after you get saved, and you, 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 it's like God's my father. And he, he tells us that. He's on the inside of us. So with that in mind, this, these impartations that we get, that it, the fruit of the Spirit, we have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Okay, th that's, that is the fruit of the Spirit, that we have supernatural impartations. All right, so here's practical application. What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? You have these things. So do you say, I'm impatient? And, and it's, these are easy things to slip into. You know, but some, some, see, I got saved when I was 23 years old, and so you, you start talking a certain way, and you're, the way that you live, you form habits, and you're kind of like habitual with your language and your beliefs, okay? And then you get saved, and then you get God in you, but then you start reading the Bible, and the way that you used to talk and your habits, you know, patterns of speech, patterns of beliefs, all that kind of stuff, you know, you, 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 you need to start making an adjustment. So it's easy to say I'm impatient, but if you're a Christian, the Bible says you have the fruit of patience in you. So why do you talk that way? Why are you saying you're impatient? You should be patient because you have fruit in you. So we talk differently, right? Just practical application. Do, do you ever say, like, I'm sad? You know, because the Bible says you have joy on the inside of you. So if you keep saying you're sad, you'll get sadder. That's all. It, sadness leads to more sadness and deeper sadness, you know. But if you say that I have joy on the inside of me because the fruit of the Spirit of joy is in me, so we don't yield to that, okay? We don't have to be that way. We have joy in us. Do you say, like, I'm mean? Because the, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. So we have kindness on the inside of us. We, we don't have to be mean. The fruit of the Spirit of kindness. So even if you were mean, and I, I worked in the tradie world. I know what it's like to be a tradie. I know what it's like to work in that environment. But hey, once I got saved, I decided I'm not going to be in that environment and be like everyone else. I was going to be like who I was created to be. Uh, do you say like things like, I'm rough, and that's another, you know, like tradies like to be rough, tough, you know, one-up everyone, make sure you're the toughest guy, you know, that kind of a thing. But the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Christians have gentle, we have gentleness on the inside of us. You know, do you ever say like, I'm out of control? Well, the Bible says one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We, we don't have to be out of control. We can be in control because the fruit of the Spirit it's not our willpower, but it's God in us that we can be in control, not out of control. Do you ever say, like, I'm unfaithful? And I'm not talking about in marriage, but I'm even talking about when it comes to serving God, we have faithfulness on the inside of us. Like, you say, like, I'm inconsistent. 
while inconsistent and unfaithful, the Bible says we have faithfulness in us. You, we have faithfulness working in us. Okay, so you, you, don't, you don't have to yield, but you want to make sure how you talk. Because if you talk the wrong way, you will, of course, have and become what you believe you are. And sometimes that leads to unhappy Christianity because God is in you and the fruits of the Spirit are in you. And he's trying, he's doing his best to get you to go this way, but you're talking and saying all this stuff and you're going this way. And, it, and it, you know, if you really want to, if you want to have the happiest Christian experience as possible, say what God says about you. So we can say, I have the fruit of the Spirit deposited in me. I have God's life on the inside of me. I have God. Jesus is my wisdom. And we start saying that, okay? And here's the last distinctive trait that we want to say today. Like I say, there could be a lot of them, but we only have so much time. So here's another distinctive trait, and that's his inner workings, like God working on the inside of us. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, he wasn't around them. He was somewhere else in a different location. He said, even though I'm not around you, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What he's saying is something happened on the inside, and now I'm telling you to work what's on the inside. Get that out into your life. Work it out. Work that what's on the inside out so it's noticeable even on the outside so everything that we have deposited in us is for our benefit it's to be worked out in our lives and that includes the fruit of the spirit but then there's also one other thing that's awesome and that's th that's this that God plants the assignment in each of our hearts and when I say the assignment, I mean capital T, capital H, and capital E, the assignment is what we're saying. So, and in, in here's where we see that at in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 28. It says, we proclaim by him instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. So, when we become a Christian, there's an assignment, it's the assignment that gets planted in our heart. And it happened as soon as I got saved. The first thing I wanted to do is make sure my mother and father and my brothers were saved. I mean, that was like the immediate mission. But how, why did I get that way? Well, I knew I had something, and I knew what I had was right and good, and I wanted to make sure my mother, father, and brothers got it. So that was my first mission. But once they got it, and they did all get it, I couldn't get rid of the mission. <laughs> it's hard to get rid of the mission. As Christians, we want to see other people get it. Yes. You know, it's a different thing because, like, why do I want somebody to get saved? I might never see him again because I don't want him to go to hell. There's something about it. You get him, and you love the world like he loves the world. It's just hard to escape from the, that love that we don't want to see anyone spend eternity in the wrong place. It's not even like an agenda. It's not even like done with wrong motives. It's like, 
I love people and I don't want them to go to hell. It, it's like the mission gets implanted in our heart and we can't get away from it. It causes us to act different in public. You know, you guys know sometimes you, in public you want to let somebody know what you think about the service you got at a restaurant. But you have to go like that because you think if I tear into this person, you know, if the service wasn't good or something, you know, what, I, I won't be able to get that person saved. So the agenda is not anything, it's, it's his agenda, it's get, it gets put on the inside of you. It causes you to act differently. Patsy and my, we ended up in a house, um, we were living in Cornubia, and the house that we were in, the agent for that house was Margaret Court's niece, and we didn't know it that it was Margaret Court's niece. You know, does everyone know who Margaret Court is here? She lives over in Perth. She was the, 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 the best athlete Australia's ever seen, wonderful woman. We're, we're, we're friends with Margaret. And so we're in a house, and we're dealing with an agent. So, hey, you know, it's really good when you pay your rent and stuff like that. But then what happened is our little doggies made some P marks on the carpet, and when it was time to leave the house, we were, they were going to keep half of our bond money and here's the thing, our dogs did mess up the carpet. And we could have put up a big stink and we could have, but then, you know, Margaret would have heard, you know, a different side of us. You know, there's just sometimes that you act like who you are. So we had to, we lost half of our, our bond money because of our little doggies doing that on the carpet. You know, but you never know who you're talking to. You never know who you're dealing with, you know. And so we, this mission that gets put in, it causes us to be different. Now look at the next verse. So then in verse 29, he said, Toward this goal, I also labor, struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. So the goal he's talking about is the mission that gets put on the inside of us that we want to see people saved and we want to get them into maturity. That's the mission that gets put in us. And then he said, toward this goal, toward this mission, I also labor. And then he goes, struggling according to the power that works in me. So not only does God implant the mission in us, he empowers us to do the mission. So Paul's like saying, man, I want to get this done. And the only way that I can get it done is according to his power. I, I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it with willpower. He put the mission in me, but now I am struggling and laboring according to the power that works in me. So, so practical application about this is like, what do you say about yourself along these lines? Do you like say things like, well, I, I don't have any assignment? Well, you have the assignment. I, I don't really know what to do. Well, you have the assignment. There, we all have something to do. But see, if you, if you take it this way that if, if, if you see that as soon as we walk out the doors, everyone that sees us and, and listens to us and our behavior, how we act, talk, and everything can affect everyone around, we have the assignment on the inside of us. So we all are valuable because we have the assignment, right? So how do we talk about ourselves? Like, I, I'm, like I, I don't have anything to do. We all have something to do. Um, do you ever say like things like, well, I'm all alone in this? Well, no one is all alone because Paul said the power of God was on the inside and he's working on the inside of him. So uh, one last story, like myself, 
I um, travel in this singing group, and we used to sometimes have to go 3,000 miles in a bus and a truck to go to a big, like, stadium kind of thing to do a big meeting, and we were doing the music. But what we did is we might drive 500 miles a day or so, and then we would stop and we would do a church service, like, like a music group, and uh, th- we would do testimonies and get people saved. So we ended up at a, a church on a Sunday, and this particular church we're setting up, and the manager came up to me. I wasn't the manager. I was under him. He goes, I want you to preach on Sunday. And I said, okay. And then I found out when we were setting up that there were 800 people in this church. And so I went to the manager and I said, there's 800 people in this church. I don't want to preach. Ask somebody else to. That's too, I'm a, and I, I have to admit, I, was, I said I was afraid. I was not talking the right way. And I said, I don't, I don't want to speak in front of 800 people. Have another guy. And the manager says, no, you're doing it. I'm not letting you off. So we, I tried. And so we set everything up and I went, we had host homes. So me and another guy went to somebody's house and we ate supper and slept and then we're back at church the next morning. And I, I was like, I could hardly eat that night. I, the lady made such a beautiful meal, but my stomach was just going nuts because I had to speak in the morning. So I ate a few bites, and I said, I got to go, to, gotta go in my room. And I'm like studying and sh- trying so hard to get everything just right. And I thought I had a great message. And I was, I went, the next morning, though, I still thought all the people were there, and I'm looking at the people. And I was the bass player, so I'm, you know, I'm back here, and there's like six, we had six singers in the band, and they're all singing, and the manager was one of the singers, so I'm playing the bass, and I never, I always stay in my place, but this particular, I, I start going like this, I'm going toward the manager, and so when I got near him, I, I you know, you're, you need both hands, but I start hitting the strings with this hand, playing my notes, and I went like this, and he turned around, I go, I don't want to preach, and, and he turned around, and he goes, you're preaching, like that. I, I tried, I tried to get out to the very last, I tried to the very last minute to try to get out of it, and I couldn't. And then, then I got up. It was my turn. And so, I thought, I thought I had about a, had a half hour worth of material, but it was only ended up being 15 minutes. And, um, and in the 15 minutes while I was talking, I, I said this to the congregation, I said, you think it's easy to preach? You ought to try it. I, I told that to the congregation. I, I said, hey, God used the donkey in the Old Testament. He could surely use me. This is all within my 15 minutes. Um, and then when, when it was done, I, here's how I ended. I go, well, I'm done. That was, that was the final thing there. And so then the pastor got up, and he was so gracious. He found a way to be gracious, and he got up. And he, this pastor has been to Australia and New Zealand the one I'm, he's gone home to be with the Lord since then, but he got up and he was so gracious. And he goes, thank you, Brother Tony, for sharing your heart. And that was really a safe thing to say, right? And, uh, and then he said, I wonder if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus and you would like to accept Jesus as your Lord. And I was sitting over here. That's where the, our music group was over on that side. And I rolled my eyes. I thought, who could, who could accept the Lord after that? And much to my surprise, seven people got up and came forward. And I, I rolled my eyes again. <laughs> and I thought, it's amazing. And, and actually, the Lord told me, he says this twice to me. I didn't say this in the early service. 
when that happened, he said, you're not as important as you think you are. That's what he told me. He said, I, I can speak through, I can say things about what you say to people's heart that you don't know I'm saying that to their heart. And so seven people got saved. And then after that, the pastor goes, I wonder if anyone has any sickness in their bodies today and you would like hands laid on you for healing. So about 20 or 30 people stood up, you know, and the way that that church was, you couldn't get to there from here. You had to come up and go down. It was like an old-fashioned kind of church. So I'm sitting over here, and the pastor says, Brother Tony, why don't don't you come up and lay hands on the people? So I had to come up here to get to there, and there's like 20 or 30 people standing there, and there was like four steps. It was a higher platform, and I, I went like this on the first step, and when I like did that, all the people fell down, got knocked down on their backs, you know, and I thought, and I went like that, and I went back and sat down, and when I sat down, the Lord said, you're not as important as you think you are. See, sometimes we think we're more important than we really are. So what, but here, here's, here's, what, here's what I wanted to say about that, and, and we'll, we'll get ready to go here. I knew the singing group. Now, our, our worship team and musicians, are, they're spiritual here at our church. They're spiritual people. But the ones that I were traveling with, I knew what they were going to do. I knew as soon as I got in the bus, they were going to tear into me about what I did. So I thought, I'm going to beat them to the punch. I'm not going to let them tell me. I'm going to tell them first what I thought about myself. So I got in the bus, and before I, we sat down, and I go, that was terrible. I stunk. I did a terrible job. Seven people got saved. People got knocked off their feet by the power of God, and I'm saying, it's all about me. You see what I'm saying? It was all about me. And so a lot of times when we talk wrong about ourselves, it's because it's all about us. We, we haven't got out of that place yet. But at least I could, they knew that they weren't going to tell me about me. I told them about me. <laughs> but here's what I wanted to say. We have grace that God puts on our life. And we can either work with the grace or frustrate the grace. Frustrating the grace is saying exactly opposite about what God says about you. So if God says you can do all things through Christ and you say, I can't, you're frustrating the grace that's on your life. The Bible says that we have access by faith into the grace that we walk or or that we're in. So everything is by faith, by grace through faith. So if God says something about you and you say something contrary, you're frustrating the grace. If God says you can do all things through Christ, then you say you can do all things through Christ. If God says, I'm gracing you to do a certain thing, then you say, I'm graced to do that thing. And here's what I found out. As soon as I started to mix faith with how God put his grace on me, everything started to turn around. It started to turn around. And and so the same thing would be true with everyone here. Praise God. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you uh, are working in everyone's life. I thank you for the grace that's upon everyone in this building, Father. I thank you for the words that everyone heard, Father, that we believe the right thing about ourselves, that we say the right things, that we cooperate with you, Father. I thank you because we'll be more fruitful. And so thank you, Father, that you help everyone change what they believe and say about themselves and it lines up with what you believe about us and you say about us, Father, in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I thank you before we dismiss that if there's anybody with us today and they're saying like, wow, um, you talk about this Jesus and I'd like to experience this Jesus. Father, I thank you for speaking to hearts today. I thank you that you make it real to each person, Father, that you're the almighty, eternal, powerful God that created the universe. And as you told us, there's only one way to get to you. That way is through Jesus. Father, thank you for making it really clear, uh, affirming your word, that you affirm the word in the hearts of people, that there's such an affirmation that people know that's truth, that there is one God and that way to God is Jesus. So Lord, thank you for doing that. We trust you for that. We're going to say a prayer right now, and the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. And we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to pray that as a congregation. If you're with us today and you say, I want this Jesus that you've talked about, I want him, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to have him. It's very simple. You pray, you confess Jesus as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead. And that's how to get into his kingdom. So I invite you to close your eyes today. We close our eyes around here because when we pray, we can concentrate and pray from our hearts. So with eyes closed, I'm going to have everyone repeat this after me, and you're welcome to join in on this if you desire Jesus to be your Lord. So let's say this together. Thank you, Father God, for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. You loved me, and you came for me. Thank you for dying for me, shedding your blood for me, going to hell for me. I thank you that you were raised for me, and you were seated in heaven for me. Jesus, I believe God raised you from the dead. Jesus, I call you Lord. You are welcome in my life. You're welcome in my heart. Thank you that you first loved me. And because you first loved me, I now love you. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.